Welcome to Welcome to Primetime, a show covering the Freddy Krueger-hosted anthology series, Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein. Every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You get one new episode for every donation. Please help keep us going by giving to The Okra Project, an organization that is feeding to work black trans people in need. You can find out how to donate in the show notes. This week's patron is Ginny Harmon, and our guest this week is podcaster extraordinaire of a show that I have been on and loved being on called Your Fave Bad Movie. It's Joe Daniel Montelongo. Welcome for the show. I, that wasn't right. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I loved every moment of that. I've never been called anything extraordinaire, so I'm, I'll take it. Look, I everything about you was right because everything about you is right in general, um, but I did say welcome <laughs> for the show, which is nothing. That's you saying, on behalf of the show, welcome. The show that You're is right. unsentient. I saw what you were doing. <laughs> okay, yes. You know, we, we love personification. Oh, I do. Well, anyway, how I are you doing? I totally everything derailed. Sh- no, not a problem. I am doing good. I'm actually finding that despite, I mean, the whole world being on fire, I'm kind of, of on my way up in life and that makes me feel very good i got some cool projects that i'm working on and right now i'm feeling like i'm in a good space okay that's honestly great to hear i can't i actually am kind of in a similar place where i'm like you know what things are horrible and on fire but like for me right now i think i can live with this <laughs> like where yeah I yeah I was, I, i've been riding like this really good wave and then you asked me to be on the show and i'm like um absolutely what a perfect cherry on top because i since you announced it, I was like, I hope I get to be on it. I hope I get to be on it. But I didn't know if we were, like, that kind of cool where I can be like, hey, let me buy your show. <laughs> we are. But, I look, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you could come on um, so we can, you know, break that barrier. Um, but, yes, we're going to talk a little bit about your show later because I have lots to say. Um, <laughs> Perfect. That, that sounded shady, but it's not. Um, we're here to talk about <laughs> season one. <laughs> season one, episode 11 of Freddy's Nightmares. It's called Do Dreams Bleed? Answer, no, they don't. Um, <laughs> the air date, well, the original air date was January 8th, 1989. So we have rounded the horn on the 80s. We're kind of closing that out. Um, here's what you could have watched instead in theaters. And we actually, there were a couple weeks between the previous episode and this one. So mm-hmm. in that time, you could have sat down with Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. <gasps> um, yes. <laughs> Oh my god, I just love that movie so much. Like, that is my ideal horror film. Just the nastiness, the disgustingness, and I want to be Julia for Halloween this year, but obviously that got postponed, so next year, mm. I want to be Bloody Julia in a suit. Oh, that's a good look. You would rock that. Oh, I know that I would! However awful that sounds, I know I would kill it. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, what else is out? Oh yeah, less interesting Halloween costume, uh, Rain Man. Um... <laughs> Is there a non-offensive way to do Rain Man? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, Rain Man itself is not a non-offensive way to do Rain Man. <laughs> um, and then a bunch of uh, a bunch of lady movies. We've got Dangerous Liaisons. Uh, um, we've yes. got we've got Beaches. A tearjerker. And Working Girl. So far, all of these are actually like kind of great movies. Yeah, like, who knew that, you know, the winter season of 89, or 88 to 89 was so, you know, lush. Right. Um, that No wonder Freddy's Nightmares was like, we're taking a few weeks off because we cannot compete. 
Yeah, we cannot compete with Melanie Griffith rising her way to the top. There it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this episode was written by Michael DeLuca, who writes a bunch of these. We don't need to talk about him anymore. Um, it was directed <laughs> by... <laughs> bored of him. Uh, it was directed by Dwight Little, who directed Halloween 4, most prominently, but also Anaconda's The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Which I was so hoping you would bring up, because I am a huge snake movie fan if it has snakes in it i'm out there and i was like i like this episode so i kind of really love the fact that he also did anacondas <laughs> which is honestly look i know i'm in the minority but i think that movie's better than the first anaconda <laughs> whoa whoa okay so i don't know if i'm about going that far but look, I... i'm not asking anyone to step out on this limb with me <laughs> i think they make an incredible double feature and i really really like the both of them i can i can live with that a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> um, so the cast here, main cast, Damon Martin plays John. He he was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Ghoulies 2 and my personal favorite, Amityville 1992. It's about time. Is that the one with like the haunted clock? Yes, it, it is about time. Get it? <laughs> I've only heard the most ridiculous things about this movie, but so many people are talking about it that I'm like, do I finally have to make the leap? Do I finally have to watch it? And I think it just got on Shutter, right? I don't know, but that might explain why people on Letterboxd have been watching it left and right. Um, well, I, I got to jump on it. I did a full watch of all the Amityville movies a couple years ago, and that's one of the ones that I think is definitely like actually a trashy good time rather than like either really boring or really terrible. You know what? That's it. That's As soon as we're done here, that's what I'm going to watch tonight. Oh, okay. I can't. I need you to report back to me because that movie is wild. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I'm so excited. Thank you. Wait. Well, yeah. Um. And then also Sarah Buxton as Ronnie. Uh. She did a lot of soap operas, including The Bold and the Beautiful and Sunset Beach. So good for Ronnie. Um. Okay. So this episode, we open in a dream. John is playing football, and he discovers an axe-wielding murderer called the Springwood Chopper mutilating a body out in front of the school. Um, turns out that this was one of those things that happens in TV and movies all the time where you have a dream that is an exact memory of something that happened to you. <laughs> we love exposition. Oh, yeah. Um, and also, it's a it's an Elm Street show. That's so it's like, look, we got to get dreams in here. Get them in. Pack them in. <laughs> um, also, the foley of the axe hitting the body, it sounds like a basketball bouncing. It does not sound like an axe. I actually wrote that in my notes. I was like, the sound sounds different, but it sounds really heavy. And now that you're saying it's a basketball hitting the ground, I was like, oh, that's exactly what that sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it's like round and blunt and almost almost crunchy. It, it's weird. It, I, there, there is a crunchy aspect. And then when I wrote down, I was like, this makes it sound like a little bit more harsh. It definitely doesn't sound, I mean, I've never been around anyone who got hit with an axe, but I could assume Congrats. it would be crunchy. And I'm like, oh, I kind of am here for it. Yeah, it's like, it, it feels uncanny in a way that was probably not intentional, but it works. I think this entire show is uncanny, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Extremely true. <laughs> um, okay, so John is talking to his mom on the phone. Apparently, he has very rich Jet Setter parents. She's off to Milan. I don't know what she's doing, but I want to know. Um, yeah? Oh, no, go ahead. Okay, well, I was going to talk about his girlfriend, Ronnie, shows up. She's wearing the lady version of a Canadian tuxedo, which is a denim blouse with a denim skirt. I am obsessed with Ronnie. I'm so glad that the show made her a focal point, because everything she does 
is an interesting choice and not a choice that anybody else is making. And she absolutely steals the show for me. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, speaking of the interesting choice, the scene immediately following, she is playing a clarinet while he's lifting at a bench press in a crop top, which I think is my new kink. I, I was going to ask, is that... crop top. <laughs> is that supposed to be kind of like a reference to Johnny Depp? Like, with a crop top, with a jersey, with the name John, obviously in the Fred, a Nightmare on Elm Street series. I mean, it, it must be, but also I think that maybe the 80s were continuing to think that crop tops were just was where it was at for, for straight teen boys at the time. And they and were right. They were right. Um, this is the most clothed that John will be for the rest of the episode. He is shirtless 900% of the time. And heavy breathing. Oh, yeah. No, th- thank you to Freddy's Nightmares for continuing to be totally like erotically charged in every direction for no reason. Um, I have a question. I'm curious. Um, Mm -hmm. Is it possible for a piece of art like this episode of Freddy's Nightmares to be homoerotic, even if there's not like two men? Can it, can something be homoerotic if it's just one person in a frame? Um, I genuinely think so. In the same way that some people are asexual and some people get turned on by just watching themselves. I definitely think one single person could be homoerotic. Okay, yeah, because I think even if you disagreed, I think this episode would prove that it's true. Because <laughs> just looking at this, I'm like, this is the gayest shit. And it's just, you know, it's a shirtless man. He could be anything. But I'm like, no, this is gay. This is happening. It's also just like that kind of energy that you carry. You can carry non, you can be straight or non-gay and still carry like gay vibes where people are like, ooh, something's a little, a little suspicious about you. <laughs> we don't trust the gays. Um, that's how yeah. my family in Mexico would always like refer to queer people. They'd be like, that person seems suspicious. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, that tracks. Um, Mark, Mark Fortin of the, uh, a former co-host of the attack of the queer World podcast. I always said, uh, like, Oh, he has a little sugar, doesn't he? <laughs> I love that. I, I guess I should be offended at some point, but I just love the way that straight people, come up with unique ways to refer to queer people. Oh, yeah. No, oh, God, what's the one in Clueless? Uh, a Cake Boy. I love it. <laughs> is is uh, reclaimed. There was a thread on Twitter for the longest time that was like, how did your teachers um, let you know that you were gay before you knew you were gay? And it's like, a pleasure to have in class and <laughs> always talking to all the girls or something. And I'm like... I had all of those on my notes every single time, every single quarter. Oh God, me too. I'm it's the, the stark relief is coming for me. Um, <laughs> what else? Oh, what, just speaking of like kind of old fashioned gay terms for that straight people have, I always feel like the name tab hunter sounds like an old fashioned, like gay slur from the thirties. It's like, Oh, he's such a tab. <laughs> hey, your boy, does he, you know, hunt for tabs? Is he? I'd be into it. Uh, yeah, it just it feels. Is he right. a fr- <laughs> is he a friend of Dorothy's? Is he a hunter of tabs? You know. <laughs> yeah, I know, um, and yeah, we know him. We we all know each other. <laughs> anyway, so there's a newspaper article about the Springwood Chopper. It burns away, and Freddy's behind it, which is a very good transition. I loved that. Yeah, after listening to this show, I was like, okay, I'm in for some 
lower quality kind of content. And everyone always comments like how Freddie never seems to be connected to the actual show. And I was like, oh, mm. I think I'm blessed because it seems like Freddie is in it. Yeah, you got lucky. He is here to play in this episode. Um, he even says, oh, he has an axe from the chopper. He says, I hate cut rate competition. He's kind of cracks it over his knee. And I love that he's kind of engaged so much with this episode that he's like kind of possessive of his position as the like lead killer in Springwood. Oh, yeah. And he even when he says like Springwood chopper, like, ugh, that's the best you could do. It's not even an alliteration. <laughs> He's like, mm, uh, I mean, I think Freddie was the Springwood Ripper or Slasher. I don't remember right now. I but think it was Slasher. Okay. Which is, it's more alliterative, so it's better, even though it's not the best. <laughs> um, look, Fre- Freddie is not known for his, you know, kind of general elegance. But, yes. So, basically, he keep, um, John keeps having dreams about the chopper. The chopper keeps saying, time to take your medicine, which is the most cliched nonsense line like i feel like that line i've heard in way too many horror movies and it never has kind of rung as scary to me because it never really especially in this area doesn't really make sense right that's i do notice that often i was like i get it what you're going for but it doesn't make sense and even in this one i was like oh it's gonna come back together it's gonna it's gonna tie it all together and apart from someone saying the thing like the actual meaning never comes up yeah, because it's not like, oh, because usually I feel like time to take your medicine is like if you have like a kind of Munchausen situation or like usually it's like an abusive parent kind of thing where like, take your medicine, you got to be punished for your naughtiness. And it's like, this isn't that. It It's weird. But anyway, speaking of weird, um, cut to John talking to his football coach. Coach is fixing a squeaky chair. And then he tells John <laughs> to, and I quote, tell me about your squeaks. <laughs> This coach, from the beginning, I was like, this coach is either the bad guy, or he's not the chopper, but he's still a bad guy. Any adult man that befriends teenagers is immediately suspicious, and not in the gay way, just in a really suspicious way. And he just kept being so close to both of these kids. Well, it reminded me of the coach in episode three, Killer Instinct, who was... Like, the the executor for the girl's mom's will, and also, like, let the boyfriend (laughs) into her locker. So... It's just like, I think the coaches at the school just have to kind of moonlight. And he's moonlighting as the school therapist. He's moonlighting as, I think he runs the asylum that John is sent to later. Spoiler alert. <laughs> like, Did, he seems uh, very he, keyed into, like, what medications he's getting. The, the adults in this town obviously have way too much power. We have seen through all the parents who legit killed Fred. And all the parents who are always in everybody else's business but can't actually take control of their own town. Yeah, it's wild. But yes, so anyway, he's, we're, we're talking about our squeaks with the coach. Um, mm-hmm. He So literally in the first scene, like I wrote in my notes, coach is totally the chopper because he's constantly like, oh, well, did you say his face in your dreams? Or like, what, what do you uh, – uh, oh, my God, I can't talk. But <laughs> the coach is so – intense about hearing John's visions of the chopper. And then as soon as John leaves, he pulls open his murder binder of like all the news clippings about the chopper. Like, dude, you gotta, you gotta learn how to take it easy. You gotta learn when to just let things be. And he's very much like, what if I was involved in every single facet of this murder case that I didn't participate in, but I want to know everything about that's suspicious. Yeah. And he doesn't even have a podcast. 
He doesn't even have a podcast. What's the point of having a murder binder if you can't talk about it on a podcast? Yeah, come on, coach, whatever your name is. Um, <laughs> so John at 2.15 a.m. every night, which I don't know why that's important because it also doesn't come into play at all. Ever. Um, but I know it's annoying. But he has shirtless dreams about the chopper. Oh, hot. Anyway, so <laughs> he dreams that the chopper murders his parents. He dreams that the chopper's murdering Ronnie. Um, Ronnie eventually comes over and she gives him a, a massage. Um, the killer comes in and it's time to take your medicine and is trying to chop Ronnie. But then there's a scuffle in the dark and it ends up like the coach has John pinned on the ground and the parents have decided to send him to an asylum so as not to ruin their name. And I'm like, I wish I knew more about these fancy pants white people. What are you up to? These white people have too much power. They're literally like, oh, we'll deal with it. Not the courts. And I was like, no, ma'am, that's not how the law works. <laughs> it's not. And also, it is extremely clear. First of all, why is this coach in your son's bedroom at 2.30 in the morning? Like, clearly there's a problem here. It's not your son. I think we give coaches way too much leniency. As a person who watched Friday Night Lights all four seasons, four or five, um, the coach was always at everybody's house, was making them, like, practice at 3 a.m. I was like, Dude, no does nobody from small town stand up? Do these coaches? Why do these coaches have so much power? I mean, maybe that's what, you know, the Springwood of this show is tapping into, is that the coaches really do run the town. <laughs> we need more episodes. We need more episodes. We have to figure out where all these coaches are coming from. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to um, I'll have to track it. Keep an eye on, you know, just this kind of coach conspiracy. It's the coach Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we bring back season three. Oh, I mean, I would love it. I mean, we could just, yeah, write our own episodes and just do stage readings. I love it. Okay. Um, yes? I just think that that sounds like a fun idea. Y'all, keep donating so that Brendan has to go through all of these episodes and there's still more episodes to do, so we have to write our own. Please do. That would be so fun. I mean, and submit your scripts. I'll read them. Anyway, so we're back in Freddy's liminal space. He says, it's a tender story of a boy and his ex. Nobody cares. Um <laughs> Ronnie has a uh, a dream where she's ha she's playing the clarinet in her fantasy, which is, you know, also my fantasy, as we have discovered. Um, <laughs> and she has, like, a full brass band of corpses behind her that the chopper has murdered. <laughs> and, yeah. Ronnie has just also, between, I guess, the first half of this episode to the second half, has aged, like, ten years. She still looks <laughs> great, but you, she is noticeably pressed that her boyfriend is now the chopper and in, in an asylum. Yes. And the coach is his asylum therapist. And his therapy is just, you're the chopper. You don't remember? You killed all those people. Tell me you're the chopper. Tell everyone you're the chopper. And I'm like, <laughs> sir, um, he thinks she doth protest too much. <laughs> um, and then even though the parents have kept uh, his, you know, chopper identity a secret, um, Ronnie feels like everybody in her neighborhood is watching her. She goes to fix a little girl's skates, which is the most 80s scene imaginable. And a suspicious <laughs> mom carts her away. And then she goes to talk to the coach in his therapy room, which does she not have friends? Actually, that comes up later. We'll get to it. <laughs> okay, we need to get there because I there's there's some lines that are said that I have questions about. <laughs> oh, my God. Me too. But also this... The second scene with her and the coach is the best, but this scene is also wild because in a completely affectless voice, she says, it's tearing me apart inside. Like, 
not even Tommy Wiseau attempted drama. It's she is just vacant. Like she's on eight hundred Xanax at once. Is she? That was the day that she got to hang out with Robert Englund, who has stopped making jokes during these show intervals and is just reading fortune cookies and grinning at the camera. She was like, "I'll give it a shot." <laughs> yeah, she was like, um, "I really learned a lot from Robert Englund. Like how not to try and collect a paycheck." That's what it's all um, about, Miss Thing. Oh, yeah. No, look, she was on, what, 500 episodes of Sunset Beach? She knows what she's doing. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so she says the immortal line. Well, because the coach is like, look, I also have been affected by this. And she said, he wasn't a part of you, coach. And I'm just like, this is disgusting. You are are acting like you are a 60-year-old woman who lost her husband of 40 years. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Rather than a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> Teen love be like that. Teen love, you feel like you have always been together and you will always be together. And then one of you graduates and you're like, oh my god, what was I thinking? That is extremely true. But I, I maybe I'm just too merciless looking at all the high school relationships we get here. But they're all so focused on eternity. And it's like, don't ever leave me. Everything, <laughs> I need you for eternity. It's like, calm down. Like, oh, I know yeah. we've rubbed fronts, but it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> That is the saddest way to describe boning. They rubbed fronts. And that's missionary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, that's what that's what all the straight people are doing. It's it's horrifying. Anyway, the wall peels, peels away. The door opens to Freddy. He says, well, another thing where it's like he's kind of interacting with this set design, which I like. Um, he says, her boyfriend mm-hmm. misses her. He's in here waiting. Which he he's not, though, because... He's in the asylum. Freddy's not in the asylum. It just doesn't really make sense. Mm-mm, at all. Um, let's see. She has another bad dream. There's like a meat cooler and her boyfriend is like spinning a dial, not a dial, but like a, like a Jack in the box thing on the side of it. And the brass band of corpses pops out of the meat cooler. Like, like a Jack in the box. That was pretty fun. Um, that was pretty fun. She goes, yeah, like there's always, even in the like very bad episodes, there's always like an image or two that's like, you know what, you were actually attempting something here. And they try. They're like, she plays the clarinet. That's all the backstory that you need on her. And now she has these ghostly apparitions. Yeah. Look, what more could one want? We only have forty five minutes <laughs> to get to know this woman. Um, so we're back in the coach with in the coach's office she talks about again more of that like frothy high school romance she says i loved him i made love to him which is disgusting (laughs) and the coach is into it the coach is like tell me more what is going on how close are you do you know that he's the chopper has he told you that he's the chopper (laughs) um look anytime he opens his mouth he tells people he's the chopper And no one's listening. It's just him crying out for attention, and people refuse to listen to him. Look, that's so important. You gotta listen to people when they tell you who they are, especially when that person <laughs> is the chopper and a serial um, killer. It's it's in kind of imperative that you listen to these people. That's extremely true. But look, this was before podcasts, so th- people weren't ready to listen. <laughs> um, so. We keep bouncing back and forth between her complaining to the coach and her being at home. She's home alone. She keeps hearing these noises, and she's like, are there rats in the basement? And her mom's like, girl, we don't have a basement. (laughs) (laughs) And she, like, presses a glass against the wall, and we get to see this fun but bizarre camera shot, like, looking through the glass into her ear. (laughs) 
I I was thinking that something spooky was going to happen, like an eye or a finger would come out of her ear. I have no idea why this show did not lead me to believe that that would happen, but I was kind of hoping for it. Yeah, I. It just it's the only shot that was like that in the show, and I'm like, what are you trying to communicate to me? I mean, thank you. It's weird, and I like weird, but it, it's not really connected. Yeah, if there's um, anything this show does, it knows how to throw you off balance so that you cannot be prepared for what comes next. That's totally true, and I do value that in any sort of media. Absolutely. Um, speaking of throwing off balance, um, she's back at the coach again. God, this this part's kind of incessantly <laughs> back and forth. But here's what I assume you were going to mention. Coach tells her, like, you might be in danger, comma, girl. Um, <laughs> she, you should sleep at a friend's house. And she's like, John was my only friend. And I'm like, shut the fuck up, Ronnie. Okay, we get it. Well, you're in love. He's fine. He's at an asylum. Go visit him. But anyway, so she says, like, I have no friends. He was my only friend. And the coach says, well, you better make some new ones. Fast. <laughs> Which, one... He follows that up with being like, well, you can stay at my house. And she's like, well, no, it's okay. Which, that did not get handled the way I thought it would, but I'm glad that it did. And the fact that both her and John had moments where they talk about not having friends. And John, even earlier, is like, I don't have friends. I have fans. Because he's a football star. Like, it's that important. And I was like, Joe Roberts is shaking. (laughs) Yes. Oh, God. That's where that line... Okay, that's what... It really rang a bell with me, but I didn't think about Scream 4. That's so... Yes, you're right. And, like, why don't these two beautiful, white, attractive, kind of affluent teenagers have friends? Is it because they're disgusting and just so in love with each other that no one else wants to talk to them? I mean, probably. I wouldn't want to talk to them. I mean, <laughs> when I mean, when he's in his crop top, I'd probably watch what they're doing, but not talk to them. Um... <laughs> So this episode ends kind of anticlimactically. She keeps she's trying to open up the wall, like uh, Edgar Allan Poe style, but she grabs a knife, which is not what I would use when I try to open up a wall. Um, she just keeps stabbing at it really slowly, and the chopper comes in to kill her. There's another darkened scuffle where it's very clear that the coach is actually the chopper, but she's like, I don't know what I saw. And then John gets carted away again, even though the, the coach has been murdered. And John's like, clearly he was the killer. Look at this corpse. And they're like, no, you probably murdered this man. I thought there was going to be one more commercial break where we finally get some resolution. And then it just ends. And I was like, excuse me. Nope, there's still more story to tell here. That's not how you just wrap up a story. Yeah, this show, look, is not the greatest at ends or beginnings or middles, but this one's especially weak. (laughs) (laughs) It was also so funny when Ronnie's just sitting in her living room and then an axe comes through her door and she is not terrified. She is not upset. She is inconvenienced. Like, her life is in danger. And then she's like, ugh. I'm still dreaming. <laughs> I mean, look, she. how can she separate dreams from reality? In dreams, there's a brass band full of corpses. In reality, there's, you know, high school. How could you possibly tell? Um, <laughs> so we're back with Freddy. He has a blindfold. He's doing a kind of pinata thing, but then there's no pinata. He just takes off the blindfold, and he's like, who says justice is blind in Springwood? The innocent are always find, found guilty. I'm like, okay, okay. Uh, thanks for stopping by. 
I can't wait until I get to interview Robert Englund for something. And I'm like, Robert, we're going to play a little game. Here are your catchphrases that you said during the making of Freddy's Nightmares. Please tell me what you think the plot line was when you said it. Yeah. Oh, God, that would be so interesting because certainly he did not care. Like, if he's not going to read a script he's not in. Um, so he's <laughs> probably like, I guess this episode's about justice and like maybe a pinata let's find out (laughs) he collected that paycheck though and that's what was asked of him oh yeah do you do you think he watched the show um i think he would pop in for an episode or two i don't think he followed it and i think the two or three episodes he saw he was like how does this connect to the one that i saw previously what is the (laughs) storyline i don't think he thought that there were just like anthologies that would be hilarious. He thought it was just like some kind of ongoing like Springwood soap opera. And he's like, I am not following this. <laughs> he's like, is the coach, did she get replaced after she became a jury and executor for someone's will? And that's why we had to replace him with this coach? What's going on? Yeah. Also, the, that you do make a good point in that this is the same high school. Um, there are so many coaches at this school. <laughs> there is an infinite array of coaches just waiting in the wings to like fill in for the next one who gets murdered they're like you need adults that work at the school that you can't trust you've got it (laughs) um okay so it's time for final thoughts in this episode was this one a dream was it a nightmare or did it put you to sleep i think this one was a dream i actually had a great time watching it was my first episode and for what it was worth i thought it was pretty cool I'm so glad to hear that. Um, for me, I'm I'm with you with certain certain jags into put you to sleep. Certain parts, especially um, Ronnie's nightmares in the second half, I was getting pretty bored with. Oh yeah, um, they had no idea how to conclude that story. Oh no, um, but I do like uh, because this show always likes to incorporate dreams, um, often to the point of ruining the story that they're telling. So I like <laughs> that they actually integrated dream stuff into the story i thought it made it more coherent and better to watch so yeah it was fun i'm glad i'm glad this is my first episode i am so glad to look again i as i tell everyone all the time i'm always so nervous inviting people who haven't watched this show on onto the podcast because i just i I don't want to torture anyone (laughs) oh no Um, for sure okay but speaking of the opposite of torture we need to talk about where people can find you on the internet and where they can find your podcasts. Perfect. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Daniel BB. And there is a link that'll connect you to everything that I'm doing. Uh, my YouTube show, my podcast, my only fans, my Instagram, it's all there. Um, your fate, bad movie. That's you are, I don't, I made it a stylish choice and I'm realizing that once you type it out, it does not play the same. You are a bad movie for your, <laughs> Um, Brennan came onto it and we talked about The Greatest Showman and that was a ton of fun. So if you need a recommendation, I recommend you start there. I also do. I look, I could talk about The Greatest Showman for hours and I almost did. (laughs) (laughs) It it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to revisit with your eyes because I was not a fan of that movie when I first saw it. And Mm -hmm. once I just got to hear about what parts work for you and then how to accept that movie, then it became a lot more fun upon repeated viewings. Yeah, it, it is a primer for how to approach that dumbass movie. <laughs> um, 
But yes, uh, we're we're gonna give you a little uh, sneak preview of what we're talking about uh, next episode. But first, here's how you can donate to get an episode for the show. Um, every episode is brought to you by your donations. Please help us keep going by donating to the Ochre Project. You can donate through the link in the show notes. Take a screenshot of your receipt and send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com or DM it to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brands and Instagram at The Burning Clem. Our artwork was created by Henry Hall. If you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you can send him a commission at henryhall.design. And our theme song is uh, Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. All right, next episode, which Joe Daniel is also joining us on. It's called The End of the World. A young woman realizes that she can use her dreams to alter her life by changing events that took place in her childhood. Um, so that'll be Friday, and I'll see, I'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. Thanks for having me on. Of course. <laughs>